the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, good afternoon, GL. Welcome on board. Good to have you with us for this uh, Tuesday, first day of November. Trust you're doing well. Trust you had a safe and sane 31st. And uh, we head into the uh, second month of the final quarter of the year. Much to talk about on today's program. Before we get into the the intended topic matter, I want to first introduce our guest and then get some quick thought in relationship to the um, Fed meeting, which is taking place today and tomorrow, and what is already anticipated to be their answer. Sort of the equation of when is good news bad news whenever the Fed meets? (laughs) lately. First, though, let me say, uh, pleased to have join us on the program this afternoon, the host of the syndicated program, The Bob Zadek Show. Bob Zadek, best-selling author. He is um, both a CPA, an attorney, and probably one of the most leading experts on the history of the United States Constitution uh, anywhere around these days. And he's got a very compelling program heard every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock here locally in the San Francisco Bay Area on our sister station, 860 AM, The Answer. Always a delight and an education to have Bob Zadek join us. Bob, how are you? Thank you, Craig. Thanks for having me on the show. Always a pleasure to be here. Hey, before we dive into uh, our intended topic tonight, I want to just get your thoughts. I mentioned about the fact that the uh, Federal Open Market Committee is meeting uh, both today and again tomorrow. Undoubtedly tomorrow they'll have some news today. Wall Street anticipating that that news may not be heading in the intended or desired direction. This on the heels of word that it's one of those when good news is bad news scenarios that the uh, job openings data shows a strong labor market, and this seems to be contrarian to what the Fed is trying to do to control inflation. Would you anticipate that the news tomorrow will be, what, maybe 50 to 75 basis point further increase in interest rates? I think, um, I guess my opinion counts because I'm not an insider. Therefore, if your listeners run to their computers and start day trading or night trading (laughs) because of what I said, I'm not going to go to prison. Uh, But uh, they'll probably, uh, I have no inside track. Um, I don't think like they do. Uh, I have a different worldview than they do. But yes, uh, they will probably raise it 50 or 75 basis points, which means nothing other than, hey, let's increase the cost to homeowners, let's harm senior citizens uh, by decreasing the value of their portfolios. And in, in trying to counter inflation, they are, as all of us, as our government always does, picks winners and losers. Uh, and they are, uh, I don't know uh, 
whether they are doing so for clearly political purposes, but let's remember that we will presume that everybody, every rational actor, whether with the public or the private sector, they do what is best for them. I'm not saying to the exclusion of other people, but everybody wants to have more power, more control, more salary, more respect, more employees. And so they are doing what they determined should be done so they don't get yelled at and indeed they're held in higher esteem. So therefore, they will probably be raising the interest, raising the uh, the benchmark rate, the federal funds rate, uh, by 50 or 75 basis points in order to allegedly stop inflation. What is fascinating is they are an instrument of the federal government, and inflation is a function of the conscious acts, acts of that very same federal government. So we have the federal government working against the acts of the federal government which is kind of weird. One would think they are united with the same goal, but they have opposite goals. And so we have one side pulling and one side pushing towards the same end. All kind of weird. But yes, the short-term, long answer to a short question is, of course, they're going to raise interest rates to try to reduce the impact of inflation on most of the population. And of course, at the end of the day, there are always consequences, some intended, some unintended, but consequences nevertheless. And uh, and certainly, uh, if the Wall Street has any suggestion as to how they're going to respond to all of this uh, signaling today, not very happy. All right, let's uh, switch By gears. Way, yeah, please. Consequences may be unintended, but not unexpected. Yes, very they true. Known. Therefore, I, I don't necessarily agree they're unintended. People are presumed to intend the, the predictable consequences of their activities. And they wished it wasn't going to be the case. So I'm not so willing to give them a pass on the unintended. No, sir. Yeah, yeah, I, I thoroughly agree with you. All right, let's shift gears into another subject matter that uh, we're hearing more and more of. And, and I want to preface our conversation today by saying that it's not simply because there have been um, fights to pick between the previous administration, the Trump administration, and the FBI, and the various degrees of handling a multiplicity of investigations and management of the organization, um, from uh, Mueller to Comey, and on and on the list goes, uh, including the, 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 the current head of the, the FBI. Uh, this in fact, while perhaps under greater spotlight or microscope, better put, today than ever before, uh, is in no wise to suggest that these are Johnny-come-lately problems or just simply um, a bit of saber-rattling by previous administrations not at all pleased with the behavior of the FBI, but in fact, an organization that at least internally has been wrought with inconsistencies and a multiplicity of agendas, sometimes to the benefit and protection of the greater good of the United States, or more often than not, sadly, I think history will prove that oftentimes the FBI 
tends to operate more on its own best interests as opposed to the citizens that it is designed to protect and serve. So that said, let's talk a bit about the current state of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and they, they may very well be eavesdropping on our conversation today, Bob, even as we speak. But the big question is, in light of not just current issues, but issues going way back deep into the administration of even the founding uh, director of the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover, um, that would suggest that maybe maybe perhaps the FBI is beyond re- reforming and simply needs to be abolished and essentially wipe the slate clean. How how realistic is this to begin with, this, this notion that it's just simply uh, beyond the ability to somehow um, bring about uh, restoration um, and reconciliation with, uh, with the, 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 the country in general, and rather we just need to say, you know what, maybe it's just time we throw the towel in and say enough is enough, we start from scratch. A conversation about the FBI is sort of starting a topic a little bit in the middle. If I may, Craig, let's go back one notch. And the FBI is de facto a federal police force. More about that in a moment. Well, if there is a federal police force, why do we have one? Well, because we have federal crimes. So let's start with If we didn't have federal crimes, we wouldn't have a federal police force. So if I may, let's spend a few seconds discussing whether we need a body of about 5,500, but it might be infinitely higher, federal crimes. What I mean by that is the following. In the founding of our country, there were no Well, I'm going to qualify that. There were only, in the Constitution, there were only three federal crimes. Not 5,503. Now, Craig, I'm going to give you a chance to show off to your listeners. Just show off. You're going to show them you know the answer to something that none of your listeners know. Craig, can you name the original three federal crimes the original three federal crimes so we're going back to to the foundation of our country constitution um boy you know i i want to take a whack at something that has relationship to to interstate commerce um that would be a mistake okay that would be a mistake (laughs) um you know what Uh, robert I'm, i'm gonna have to disappoint you and my listeners and say i don't know craig I coached you before the show. I gave you a chance to show off. It was like that show 21, the $64,000 question. <laughs> uh, but you blew it. The three federal crimes, drum roll please, are uh, piracy, counterfeiting, and treason. Okay, so much for that. In other words, there was no federal criminal law. Why was there not federal criminal law? Because in our system of federalism, where certain issues were deferred to the states and other issues were deferred to the federal government, the criminal law, the 
protecting the health, welfare, and safety of citizens was purely, purely the province of the states. Why? Because criminal law, by and large, is a reflection of morality. We criminalize things that we believe are wrong. That's a moral judgment. And morality might change and might be different from state to state. In order to keep the laws consistent with the mores of the people whose legislature passed them, criminal law was purely the province of the states. That's why there was no federal criminal law, because it was the job of the states. Now, it is taken for granted that murder is a federal crime. Lots of robbery is a federal crime. Uh, Prostitution, a federal crime, and on and on and on. So what we have is, we have, first of all, the the unanticipated, and probably one would say, if you look at the sense of the Constitution... It's kind of uncon. It violates the the theory of our divided government between federal and state to have federal criminal law. What we do now? Why do we have federal criminal law? Because legislatures have long since learned that if they run on a platform of protecting their voters, the voters like it, like they like to be protected. So it's not that we need federal criminal law, but it helps those running for federal office to get elected. So they criminalize stuff, not because it's needed. So we start with this cancerous growth of federal criminal law, which for the most part is not necessary because the states know how to protect their citizenry. They always have. As long as the states don't do something unconstitutional, there's no need for a federal criminal law. But we have we have a federal criminal law system, an overlay over state criminal law, and indeed many times we have alleged criminals who are charged under both federal and state law. Whatever happened to the, uh, the prohibition on double jeopardy? Well, it kind of the Supreme Court has said if there are two different jurisdictions, it's not double jeopardy. Well, of course it is, but the Supreme Court said it's not. So once we have federal criminal law, now we need something the founders would have abhorred, which is a federal police force. You can't have federal criminal law unless you have a federal body to enforce it. Well, and also, and pardon the interruption, but as a point of clarity here for our listeners, Bob, wasn't there also the argument made in the late 20s, early 1930s, uh, I'm talking largely uh, the post-crash, there was an uptick in crime, particularly crimes where a robbery might take place of, say, a bank, for example, and you might have said criminal who commits the robbery in one state and then flees across the border to another state. Now we're in a different state, different jurisdiction, and the police authorities of state A were not allowed to function in state B because it's a whole different state. And therefore, wasn't that also used as an argument why we needed to have some kind of federal level body that would be able to function across state lines? There was, when you say it wasn't that an argument, that was an argument to make 
federal criminal law constitutional, you had to have a hook. And the hook was, you're exactly right what you said a few minutes ago, interstate commerce. The, in, the commerce clause is always the hook that gives the federal government constitutional cover to do what otherwise, without that argument, would have been unconstitutional. You're exactly right. But it wasn't the need so much. The need could have been met in lots of other ways. It wasn't the need. It was the growth of the federal government, the growth of the federal government criminal justice system in order for politicians to get elected, the ambition of those who would further that, and ultimately the ambition of the Federal Bureau of Investigation and other agencies, the Securities and Exchange Commission, it was there the ambition of those people in charge of enforcing the laws that encouraged the growth of federal criminal law. So not so much a need as much as a pretext in order to sort of sell this, and sell it they certainly did. If you've just joined us, syndicated talk show host, best-selling author Bob Zadek is with us today. We're talking about a growing national conversation related to the, how can we politely put this, sordid past of the FBI, that the current debate over its existence, and whether or not it is a great greater hindrance than a service to um, law and to the citizens of this nation, um, a debate that's been growing for many, many years now. We're talking about just that very issue today, and we'll get back to more of our discussion as Lifeline continues right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The FBI always gets its guy. That used to be a popular saying back in the days when J. Edgar Hoover was still at the helm of the FBI, who crafted and tightly controlled an image of the FBI that was kind of the good guy in the white hat riding into town and getting the bad criminal guy and keeping America free and liberty and justice for all, etc., etc. But a casual glance at history of the FBI reveals a slightly different story. We're talking about just that today with syndicated talk show host and best-selling other author Bob Zadek. And uh, Bob, this notion, as we, we understand, of, of sort of marketing the notion of the need for a quote-unquote federal police, which I think you're right. I mean, when we hear federal police in the context of many nations, it immediately sends a chill up the spine. And yet, Federal police is essentially the function of the FBI for, my goodness, almost a 100-year existence. And this carefully crafted public image that I spoke of a moment ago, the it, it really belies not only the way the organization is run, but also the way it treats the very citizens that it is claiming to protect and serve. It sure does. And what's, if you think, if you study the history of the FBI, um, the ugly, ugly past. By the way, it's not corrupt from top to bottom. It's not like plowed under. But the FBI has enormous power, a large budget, and virtually no oversight. Now, any organization that carries guns in order to enforce its 
its mandate needs oversight authorizing and permitting anybody to carry a gun requires some degree of control and the FBI if you think back there has there have been many 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 scandals abuses known to the public going back to the FBI uh, spying on Martin Luther King trying to affect his behavior by using their knowledge that he allegedly had a mistress uh, to get Martin Luther King to to be controlled they failed to uh, following Aretha Franklin for many many years and tapping her phone to what they did with the hippies in under Nixon in the 70s uh, and what they did with various peace organizations there have been many abuses not more than other similar organizations at the state level I'm not suggesting that but has there ever been ever been any public oversight of the FBI any cleaning house when things got out of hand in the entire 100 year history the answer is none that I can find there have been a plethora of state level of county level commissions cleaning up corrupt police forces corrupt law enforcement around the country yes they all make mistakes they all get corrupted to one degree or another but ultimately there is a reckoning except with the FBI there are token hearings but nothing ever happens there have been abuses just by way of example during the steel dossier it seems like ancient history by now tons of abuses public record in the media but not one that I know of FBI agent was indicted if indeed they committed a crime was fired it was all it's all protected so when you have an organization that history shows us they are totally insulated from any oversight outside of the organization that fact and that fact alone tells you something is amiss well and anytime any any anybody engages in so-called self-policing you know immediately that the whole concept of a system of checks and balances has completely fallen apart and down through the years you're, you're very correct that the FBI largely has only been answerable to itself and when there have been attempts to try and bring a greater degree of accountability well historically there's a pretty pretty ugly track record there too we'll talk about that when we come back after a brief time out by the way speaking of the fbi and its efforts to always get its man uh, you probably are aware of the fact that earlier this year the two men who were first tried later convicted and spent decades in prison for allegedly having assassinated Malcolm X were not only exonerated because the evidence that was presented by the FBI was made up, but just in the last couple of days it's been announced that um, they're going to get about a $36 million payoff. 
because of having been falsely accused and spent so many times, or so many years rather, in jail for a crime that in actuality they did not commit. What is it about the FBI's ability to sort of insulate it itself from any degree of accountability? We'll dig a little bit deeper on that topic as well. Our conversation continues with best-selling author, syndicated talk show host, Bob Zadek. By the way, Bob deals with a whole plethora of timely topics every week on his program. If you'd like to go a little bit deeper, if you want to be able to talk with the opinion shapers and the newsmakers and really gain a deeper understanding as to what's going on in the world around us today, from a unique libertarian perspective, then I invite you to tune in to the Bob Zadek Show. You can check him out on our sister station, 860 AM, The Answer, every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. And if you happen to miss the program, he's got a helpful podcast available. Check out his website, details, too, about recent guests and his books by going online to bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. A timeout. Back to more of our discussion. The FBI has its time come as this conversation continues on Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. So how can a federal organization, how can a federal police department go years, decades, effectively completely unaccountable? Well, one convenient way is to use the very powers that it was given to investigate to investigate those that are responsible for everything from um, keeping an eye on the FBI to approving the FBI's budget. One of the facts that has um, been pretty well proven repeatedly in the years since J. Edgar Hoover disappeared from the uh, terra firma is the fact that um, anytime a new member of the House or of the Senate was seated to the committee that ultimately was responsible for authorizing the budget of the FBI, uh, they would do an investigation. They would assess essentially dig up dirt and then go to said member of the House or Senate and say, Senator so-and-so, in our efforts to look into an unrelated crime, we were engaged in an investigation and the following information came to our attention. And then they would spell out whatever dirt they had dug up and then go on to assure the senator, but Senator, you have nothing to fear. Your secret is safe with us. And it was a great way to insulate themselves from any level of accountability for decades. And Bob Zadek, we all know that in the days following Hoover's death in office as the head of the FBI, the director of the FBI, um, his personal secretary spent days shredding documents of Hoover's own private, shall we say, dirt files on all of these political operatives going back decades, because that was essentially the weapon, the tool that he used to not only keep the FBI's budget nice and solid, but also to make sure nobody dug very deep. And don't forget their file on President John F. Kennedy. Oh, yes. They had quite a healthy file on Kennedy with his assignations, and therefore they had him under control from the very beginning. And once again, it's just as you said, it's the ability to accumulate political power, which they used for self-preservation. And imagine if you were a good government member of the House or the Senate. And imagine if you had as one of your goals in office to attack the FBI, soft on crime, 
catering to terrorists. Imagine how you would be pilloried. You simply cannot take on the FBI because your political future is doomed. That's not the way to uh, collect political power in Washington is to pick a fight with the FBI. So it has built in immunity, which is why some public figures dare to suggest that the FBI is so inherently defective because of a hundred years of total immunity that not that we don't need an organization anything like it but that this organization has to be built from the ground up again with more controls than it had before because the country seems unable to control its own federal police force and i say it seems unable simply by the obvious because it's never done so it's maybe one of the few the most powerful agency to never been subjected to any oversight whatsoever remember there have been uh widely reported problems with the federal crime, the FBI crime lab. There was corruption there. Nothing happened. It was all kept reasonably quiet and out of mainstream media and on and on and on. So therefore, it is suggested that just like every organization that after, after a while should be reexamined, it's healthy. But that has never happened with the FBI. And to show you just one example, Craig, that has been in the news a bit, there is a number, 302, which means it seems benign. The FBI uses effectively the Form 302. And the Form 302 which is quite interesting. I think your listeners would find it quite interesting. You all have watched in the media police procedural shows, and the police force takes a a witness or an alleged perpetrator into a room. They sit them down, and the first thing the police officer does is click, turns on the recording machine. It's... Machine is going, and now the interview begins. So there is no mistake about what was said, no mistake about whether the uh, alleged perpetrator was read his Miranda rights or things of that nature, and a recording is made. The FBI, as a matter of policy, forbids agents to, when they interview a witness, forbids agents to record the conversation. They will never permit it. It's the only, probably the only law enforcement agency that not only doesn't do it, but forbids it. Why? Because they have an interview with two agents. One agent asks the questions. The other agent takes notes, longhand notes. The second agent goes back to the office and types up the notes onto a Form 302, the records of the interview. That becomes the only record of the interview. Now, let us assume that the FBI 
the witness says, I didn't say that. I never said that. The FBI says, well, I beg your pardon, you're wrong. It's right here in the Form 302. That becomes the only evidence of what the witness said. If the witness denies they said it, now the witness gets accused of the federal crime of lying to a federal official. That's a crime. It's the 302 that nails the witness. And there's no other record. That's one practice which only the FBI adopts. It is a corrupt practice. It is a practice that allows them to manipulate the facts. There is no reason on earth for Congress to not require the FBI to do something as simple as record interviews. After all, we do have recording machines, you know, but the FBI has aggressively resisted it. And no senator has been successful in any way whatsoever in getting a statute enacted that simply requires the FBI to record conversations with witnesses. There's one example, there are hundreds, but when those of us who are distressed by the behavior of the FBI, that comes to mind as maybe the best, not the only, but the best example of why it is concluded that agency needs to be adjusted a bit. Yeah, and again, it goes back to the larger issue that here you essentially have a federal police force that really operates like an island. There is a limited accountability. They essentially make up their own rules. Uh, they have subpoena power. They have investigatory power that crosses state lines. Um, so they can wield a great deal of influence. If they're trying to get somebody, they have ways, as I suggested earlier, of even creating documentation. Of course, you know, even the local police department can do that. But, but to a vaster and much grander scale, um, the, the FBI not having any direct line of accountability other than maybe Congress, who, as we delineated a moment ago, could potentially have influences that <laughs> the FBI <laughs> can use to essentially self-preserve, making this one branch of police in the United States that can potentially do the greatest good and equally the greatest harm. If you've just joined us, our conversation today with attorney, CPA, best-selling author and syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek. He hosts the Bob Zadek Show. Check him out Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock locally in the Bay Area on 860 AM The Answer. Complete list of the stations where he can be heard. you got friends around or you're traveling. You can check out his website. Get more information at bobzadek.com. B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K Dot com. So what to do? What might the future of the FBI look like? Were it be called into serious accountability? And how could that even, under the current circumstances, possibly happen? And I want to come full circle to the initial question that I asked at the start of our conversation tonight. And that is, is the agency beyond being reformed? Does it just need to be abolished and start from scratch? And if so, what does its replacement look like? That part of our conversation as this edition of Lifeline with special guest Bob Zadek continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
So we're discussing today with syndicated talk show host and best-selling author Bob Zadek, the FBI, an organization that's well, probably the closest thing to a federalized police force, certainly, that we've ever known in America. It's an organization that, as we've delineated, does not have the greatest degree of accountability and has used its own investigatory powers to uh, not only spy on enemies, foreign, domestic, and perceived, but uh, well, enemies both of the state and even enemies of the FBI itself. Some suggest that maybe it's time, as there have been so many attempts to try and change leadership, bring about reform. There was much talk about a, a whole new era being ushered in once J. Edgar Hoover had left the FBI. But, you know, part of it is, and I want to reiterate what Bob said a little bit earlier, um, there are a lot of really good, honorable men and women that work and serve in the FBI and come to work every day doing a good job and serving our nation. But there's concerns about the culture within the organization itself that may be problematic, that may in fact be uh, a tremendous, um, uh, shall we say, roadblock to real, true reformation that has led some Bob Zadek to suggest that maybe the notion of reforming the FBI is a quaint idea, but largely an impossible one, and it should just be abolished. But if so, abolished and replaced by what, if anything? I think um, that's a really hard question, Craig. You knew that when you asked it. You know, there there are a few questions that in government where I say, you know, I just don't have an answer. Uh, only a few. But that question, I have less than a complete answer. The one I can't solve is homelessness. We'll do that another show. But this one is mighty tough. The, my starting point would be to the extent that we reduce the federal criminal law system, and I'll give examples in a moment, then we reduce the need for a police force. For example, we have, for some reason, we have national laws about marijuana and indeed gambling and liquor and smoking all of those are national laws if you had law, no laws at the national level laws at the state level so each state could decide its own legislated morality if you will if we had laws at the state level the need for a federal police force goes down because there's fewer federal laws. Number two, the you pointed out the culture. It's the culture that's misplaced. And I, it's very hard. You can't, to take an organization that's 100 years old and to fix the culture, that means you need a turnover of old guard and new guard. Just about impossible, not even worth the effort of trying, but that's what really would be needed, which is why many of those who call for starting from scratch have a difficult job, because what happens in the interim? How do you tear down one before the other is up and running? So it's quite difficult. The third possibility is if you had some agency charged with oversight, 
which is sort of a step in the right direction. But what's that's Congress's job. And Congress has done a bad job for all of the reasons you have stated. Now, we may have a solution where con- there is a solution where Congress is itself ineffective. And the solution is harken back to when Congress decided that we had too many military bases around the country which were very expensive, taking up lots of valuable real estate, and couldn't be closed up because no elected official who wanted to be reelected could vote in favor of a statute that closed a military base in her district. So what did they do? They said, no one will vote for it. How do we close the bases? They appointed a base closing commission and they empowered the commission to decide what bases around the country are wasteful and should be closed. They then had the commission present the list to Congress that could not be changed, could not be changed. Congress had to vote up or down and no trouble getting the bill passed because Congress was voting to save a bunch of money and close a lot of bases. And no congressman could be criticized for having a base in his or her district included because overall the bill was a great bill. So there are political devices where you can, to some degree, create a body that has the power to act without the fear of political retribution. And the best I can do is an organization like that made independent of Congress, but empowered by Congress, and presenting a series of recommendations to reform the FBI with legislation, with rules, with penalties for violating, taking away some of their power, imposing best practices in terms of due process, and saying, here we have it, one statute, the FBI reform bill, up or down. That might very well work and give the elected officials political cover so they're not voting against law enforcement per se. Yeah, and that's a very important element because the perception here, of course, is anytime you talk about accountability or reform within the agency, uh, you immediately hear, oh, you're anti-police, what happens to supporting law and order, things of this sort, not recognizing the fact, as I mentioned at the very get-go, that many of the problems, the issues, quote-unquote, with the FBI are systemic, that don't go back days, weeks, months, years, but decades, some might even argue, that have kind of run as a continuous thread throughout the organization going back since its founding. A discussion today looking at the FBI and whether or not it's time to rethink the entire concept and the approach. Our visit today with best-selling author, syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek. We invite you to check out his program every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. on our sister station here locally in the Bay Area, 860 a.m. The Answer. You can also get information about Bob's books, recent guests, podcasts, too, by checking out his website, BobZadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. Our thanks to Bob Zadek for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. Six o'clock from KFAX. We'll take a brief time out. Back with more hour number two straight ahead as Lifeline continues. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.